everyone, welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, Year 2, where this year we're reading through and studying the entire New Testament, one chapter at a time. Thanks again for joining us in discovering God's plan and your part in it. So we have officially made it to the end of the book of Matthew. Today we are looking at Matthew chapter 28, and it very much feels like just wrap up details, not to minimize it. Jesus is officially resurrected from the dead. That's in no way a minor detail. That's a big deal. Uh, But this is a a fairly short chapter. It does not take long to read, so go back and read it for yourself or stick around and listen to us read it. Uh, But this is it. The one thing that sticks out the most is uh, the report of the guards. So that's like this little tiny section about how the guards, well, first of all, the guards were like so stunned that they fell over like dead men uh, when the angels came and basically told the women that Jesus is no longer here. And what's interesting about the guards is that they were, after after the women had gone away, they were like, I would assume, very scared because there's no more body. They've been standing there all night long and all of a sudden I'm sure they're probably just like waking up after being like dead men and like, oh my word, where's the body at? And I can imagine my own fear and um, anxiety getting ready to go to tell these men who put me in charge of making sure that nobody tampered with anything just to say, uh, he's definitely not there anymore. <laughs> and so I believe that the the people that heard this, the chief priests, were equally nervous because they are also, like, because yesterday in our, our reading for chapter 27, Pilate had also ordered that they be there. So not only are the chief priests, or excuse me, the guards feeling this tension, but now the chief priests are too, because Pilate told them, like, yep, stay there. Don't let anybody mess with it. And so... They actually tell or the chief priests tell the soldiers, like, here's some money. Just be quiet and tell everybody that the disciples are the ones that took Jesus body away. And at the end of this little section, it says um, in the last verse, it's like the tail end of verse 15. It says, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day, um, all in support of essentially saying, like, Jesus was not who he said he was. He didn't raise from the dead. Like all of these pieces put together so meticulously to continue to confuse and I guess like steer the wrong way an entire group of people that still does not see Jesus as who he is. I think another important detail here is that these soldiers would have committed a capital offense, which means they could have been executed um, for neglecting their guard duties. And so we see another instance of these elders and chief priests really having no problem doing dishonest things and using money for unholy means. So yesterday that, well, okay. So two days ago they paid Judas to betray Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. Right. Yesterday Judas gave the money back and they're like, no, we cannot accept this. This is blood money. Now today they're paying a a Roman soldier or at least some kind of soldier detachment Mm -hmm. to lie to the populace so that they don't look bad. Mm-hmm. So you can just continue to see like the degradation of these men and how much they just see faith and religion as a means to get what they want and accomplish what they want, not a means to honor God and be obedient and represent his people. So this is another instance um, last year when we read through a lot of the the Old Testament prophets, you'll see over and over and over that the prophets are accusing the leaders of being wicked shepherds. Mm-hmm. And here we see these wicked shepherds persisting. Well, even um, in, they continue on. 
in verse 14 too, like right before the verse that I took or that I had read, it says, and if this comes, this is them speaking to the soldiers, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. <laughs> so like, oh my word, like satisfy him with lies, I'm assuming, um, and keep the guards from getting in trouble. So it's just like, ah, uh, these are all of those really terrible, awful guys in all these like movie shows that we watch that are like, oh, they're so crooked. They're so bad. But these people really exist. And I believe people like this like still very much exist today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just lying and covering up and lying some more and covering up some more and just like taking out whoever along the way is really what these guys are up to. And I think it's like super important that we are extra vigilant of it because it can so easily creep into our own lives, into our own churches, into our own leadership. And um, it's scary. And it's not just a first century Bible story kind of thing. Like you can you can find this in politicians, but you can also find this in churches. There's mm-hmm. been so many stories recently of churches where this exact same kind of stuff is going on. Now, we're not talking like covering up, killing people and stuff like that, but cover-ups are definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. Changing money to try to influence people to tell a different story is definitely a thing. And what's interesting is I wonder how many people... Uh, while this was going on, we're saying, no, we need to we need to stay faithful to our leaders. We need to trust our leaders. We need to follow the men that God has put over us. And they were actually just wicked, crooked, dishonest men. So I guess how do you combat that? Because in my mind, it's like super easy to hear what you just said about people's ideas of church leaders. And honestly, I think there would have been a time in my life where I would have leaned much more on the side of like, okay, like this is who God has chosen and like we need to follow them and we need to make it. But I think there's so much more like allegiance that falls on the person and not necessarily God so much. So like I think that's a hard pill for some people to swallow because you want to trust what God has done. But at the same time, there's like this weird trade off that happens. It's not necessarily just what God or who God has put into um like power or um, leadership, but how do you continue to follow and trust when you know that clearly something is wrong? I think it's really important to stick to the word. I mean, you've probably heard us say that plenty of times, like your faith formation should not come only from your Christian leader, Mm -hmm. only from your favorite Christian personality. That could be your pastor at home. That could be some guy on the internet. That could be some guy down the road. It's important that you are studying the word, that you're understanding God's commands, because what I've noticed, um, like I've I've bumped into some dishonest leaders, and what I've noticed is usually their regard for what the Bible teaches starts to decrease before their bad habits start to be more obvious. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, don't hear me saying distrust everyone. That's not what I'm saying. Um, and, and I don't want you to dishonor your pastors and I don't want you to dishonor your local Christian leaders. You have to have a good sense of discernment. Yes, you do have to have a good sense of discernment and it, it should come out of your own sense of discipleship. Like as you get to know Jesus, as you understand God's word, as you're obedient to his commands, um, it helps you recognize what's going on. I mean, you, you we've been tracking through Matthew for the last month you can see pretty easily that these guys are not really caring about what God wants. Mm -hmm. And as it becomes more and more obvious that they're not standing for what God wants, then people should be allegiant to them less and less and be more 
loyal to God and what God commands. So anyway, I guess we're like, we we're on quite a tangent at this point, but it is obvious that these guys, they're not good guys. And they continue to try to make sure that people don't recognize Jesus, don't do what he says, and ultimately that they don't follow him at all. So I guess that's like the biggest part that stuck out to me. Is there anything, I know you've resonated in the past with the last section of the command that Jesus has well, for his disciples. I think the last section is so important. There's there's several little nuggets that you can read it, and, and probably it's a familiar passage. So if you say, if you start in 19, this is Jesus' last words in Matthew to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. First of all, what I want you to notice is that Jesus is telling them to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. This is him recognizing the Trinity, the fact that there is one God in three different modes and three different uh, essences, if you want to say, uh, but there is just one God. And lots of people will try to pull different passages to say that like, well, Jesus himself didn't say that he was God. Jesus himself said he was just a man. And that's just not true. Like Jesus was executed. Jesus was crucified because he was claiming to be God. And here in the final, uh, final verses of Matthew, he's saying, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, putting himself on the same level of God because he is in fact God. And it's, it's, there's many instances of this Trinity appearing in the Bible, uh, but a lot of people just don't have eyes to see it. You can go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, and you can see the plural language in Genesis, um, where it says, let us make man in our image. It's like this plural thing. You can see God's spirit hovering over the waters. Um, th- this Trinity language is present over and over and over again. And it is concerning lately that more and more people are acting like they're just not sure that that's true mm-hmm. uh, because this has been a battle that has been fought across church history for a very long time. Uh, well, the- and I've seen it too, like it's kind of the spectrum swing where there are, I know some people who put so much emphasis on God and God alone. Yeah, I've seen so many people put emphasis on the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and Jesus alone. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how like, depending on like the flavor of whatever you think is right, you can divide up God into like these unequal pieces and hyperinflate something that is not the only thing. It is really interesting how different groups of people like to highlight different forms mm-hmm, and natures mm-hmm. of God. Um, and and anytime you do that, it's probably not God anymore. Yeah. So you'll see people that just like hyperinflate the Holy Spirit. They only care about the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times people who care very much about the Holy Spirit almost seem like they don't really like God the Father that much. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like, uh, you know, God the Father, he seems cranky and mean. But the Holy Spirit, man, he is awesome. Or Jesus the Son, oh, he's so gracious. He's so wonderful. It's so great that he's not like that Old Testament God. That's all heresy. Like it, it, it's all fake and false. Or you'll meet people that are like, well, you know, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, we all worship the same God. No, because we believe that Jesus is God. And if you don't believe Jesus is God, you're not worshiping God. Like you're, you're just not. Or rejecting Jesus as only just a son or a sacrifice. Yeah, he was like the best man or the most Mm -hmm. perfect man. No, he was God. And if you believe that Jesus was just the most perfect man, you don't believe in God. 
And so it it's simple and still complicated. Mm-hmm. Like it's so easy to get this wrong. And so many people are willing to help you get this wrong. And we just want to caution you in that. And the, the, the other thing that I think is really interesting is that a lot of times baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit gets a lot of attention. And people tend to just miss or ignore teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, what's he referring to? He's referring to all the things that he has taught in the prior gospel. And I think one of the things that he taught was that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So he's basically saying, like, teach them the word. Teach them to live lives that conform to what the word um, commands so that they can be honoring to me. And it seems like I've, I've met different groups of people where they're either really crazy about baptizing everybody or they're really crazy about commanding everybody. But we're actually asked to do both. Jesus commands us to do both. I don't know how throughout history we've like peeled this two-part command into one of our favorite parts instead mm-hmm. of two. So like I said, you'll you'll meet people who just can't wait to dunk any old person in that baptismal tank. Um, and they just wash them down willy-nilly and don't pay any attention to who they are, where they came from, what they believe. Like it's it's just important to be able to get those baptism numbers up. Or you'll meet people who never baptize anybody. Like they're just like isolated in their, their little circle of believers. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you're in a small town or something where there's not a lot of people around. Um, but there's so much commanding that there's no new new growth or no new, I guess growth might be a weird word, but there's no new believers coming to faith. Uh, we are called to baptize new believers, and we are called to teach people to obey Jesus' commandments. It's a two-part thing, and it's very important to do both. Yeah, and I've seen, like in my own personal life, like I remember take like taking on baptism is no little thing. Like, um, it was always the fun idea of being the one that was in the pool, and like you get all eyes on you. Like as a child, that's super exciting. But remembering the actual importance of like sitting down and walking through like why am I deciding this because you really are showing the world um, and other fellow believers like hey I'm actually taking this decision very seriously and I think what could be more I don't know more disappointing than to take on that decision so flippantly and then look back and realize if you ever do come to like spiritual maturity like wow, I didn't, I had no clue what I was even doing. And like, it becomes like this meaningless thing that is such a significant part of a, like a believer's walk. You'll find people that will say like, no, you should just baptize people because the New Testament people just got baptized. Um, What you'll find in the New Testament is often when people get baptized without like extensive uh, proof of discipleship, I guess, you'll find that they are surrounded by supernatural occurrences and events um, where it's like, okay, it seems pretty clear that if you get teleported in front of somebody, that's something that God is ordaining and orchestrating. And the, the first century church, um, they required that people go through like extensive classes to know and worship correctly, Jesus correctly. And so there's, there is a strong church history for, um, making sure that people understand the commitment that they're making and can hold to that commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, so one final extra credit thought here. Um, this is not the first written account of the resurrection according to like chron- chronology. The very first written account of the resurrection is uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul was the first person to actually write it down and record it. And it's the oldest uh, like 
recounting of the resurrection that we have. So if you want some extra credit, go over and read 1 Corinthians 15. You'll see that it does line up with Matthew 28, and we can, in fact, believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and conquered death and saved us from our sins. So we have wrapped up Matthew. Uh, That is the your part, like walk in faith, knowing that Jesus not only died, he also resurrected, and in his resurrection, he has conquered death, he has destroyed your sin, and you can live a life of honoring God through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. That shows how much our God loves us and how much our God has given up for us. We'll be back again tomorrow uh, with, I believe, Mark chapter one. So we'll do this all over again. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. As always, please consider partnering with us as we are a listener-supported podcast that we hope to continue to grow with support from listeners just like you. We've made it super easy to partner with us, and you can support us by following the link in our show notes or our description. You can support us with as little as $3 a month. Every little bit of this helps so much, and we're so thankful for your support. With that in mind, here's today's reading. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. Don't forget, you can find us on just about every social media platform and YouTube. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. And if you have any questions, go ahead and post them there. You can also reach out to us directly at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. As always, if you don't have a Bible or if you'd like to use the one that we use, uh, reach out to us via email and we'll be happy to send one to you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow.